agree. We, we often read the Scripture and we go, well, the Word said, and we remove it of all of its culture and its context and its life and its energy. Jesus was alive, and He was filled with energy, and He would teach stories out, and people would be amazed at His stories. So we're going to talk about tales of the kingdom for a few weeks. We're going to look at some of the stories that Jesus shared. They're not just cute and quirky and sort of odd in their rollout. They're, they're embedded with truth. There's deep, deep understanding within them. So I want you to get your Bibles out if you've got them with you today. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 13. If you need to borrow a Bible, if you'll raise your hand real high, the ushers will make their way through the room. And uh, you can borrow a Bible today and then leave it on the chair. And just keep your hand up. They'll take care of you. Welcome if you're online this morning. And if you're in the overflow watching us today, we encourage you to take your Bibles. You can use our app as well, and you can follow along. But let's go over to Matthew chapter 13. And I want to jump right back into this. Jesus had this masterful way of taking deep, complicated truths and unpacking them so anyone could get their hands on them. They could wrap their minds around them and begin to understand what the kingdom of God was truly like. His tales of the kingdom were so varied. There were stories of anger and heartache and misunderstanding. There were stories of loss and discovery and joy and and incredible celebration. There were stories of hope and constant anticipation and new opportunity. And every time he would teach, people would do what we just did in the room. We would be there with rapt attention, listening, wondering what Jesus is about to explain. Now, not always, not always did people get it. Sometimes his stories were so simple, they couldn't see the profound. Have you ever been there? They could be presented in such an ordinary way that people were unable to perceive the deeper truths. There were oftentimes, Jesus would say, so to him who has ears, let him hear. That's it, let him hear. So if you understand or if you have eyes to see, may they be able to perceive. And Jesus would throw that out there. And he was challenging people when you listen to the tales of the kingdom, when you listen to the stories. There's some deep, powerful truth. Well, Jesus was constantly bombarded by the crowds. It just seems no matter where you're reading the Gospels, this poor guy didn't get a break. He'd get up in the morning, they'd be off looking for him, and he'd say, I just wanted to get away for a couple hours, and you guys managed to find me. And right away, you know, the disciples would be, where did you go? Why did you leave us? Why didn't you stay with us? So he was forever looking for these little opportunities where he could escape. And I love Matthew 13, because it starts off with Matthew, who would have been an eyewitness. Matthew has this account, and he says in chapter 13, he goes, one day Jesus went down to the lake. And you go, whoa, the guy got a break. He got away by himself. And he says he got a chance to go down by the lake. And when he got down to the lake, beautiful imagery, he sat by the seashore. Now, how many of you have been able to sit by the seashore? By yourself. If you're an introvert, it's the best place to be. But rarely are you ever alone. And Jesus, I love this, sitting by the seashore, listening to the waves crashing against the the beach, just totally engulfed in the wonder of God's creation. I hope all of you get a chance to go to the beach this summer. Not on Sunday, but I hope all of you get a chance to go to the beach this summer. It's just that one place where he could get away and he was away from the crowds, and then it happened. It's like me on the day off where somebody spots you and they go, hey, and somebody saw Jesus, and they go, that's him. 
That's, and they start to whisper to each other. I'm sure that's Jesus. He looks different seated by the beach, but I'm sure that's Jesus. And they start to get a cluster of people together. And Matthew says, all of a sudden, there's a trickle of people, and then there's a movement of people. Then there's a river of people, and all of a sudden, Jesus was surrounded by an entire crowd. So what was supposed to be a nice time at the beach became this bombardment of people, their needs, because every time people show up, I have a need, I have a healing that I need, I need a prayer request, I want you to teach me about the kingdom of God, Jesus, can you help us here? And so Jesus was just overwhelmed by the crowds again, and he stands to his feet, and Matthew says, this is what happened. When Jesus is there, he looks at the crowds, and he spots a boat in the Sea of Galilee, a little boat, fisherman's boat, tethered to the water there, off to the shore. He goes in, and he climbs into the boat, and he pushes back from the shore a little bit, And you think, why didn't he just row to the other side? He would have been safer, but he didn't. He was always there for the heart of the people. And he pushes back from the shore. Looking up at the Golan Heights, you can scan around. If you're looking to the north, you move around over to the left side, and you can see all the hills forming this natural dip into the lake. Beautiful, absolutely pristine piece of paradise. So here in this boat on the water, when Jesus was backed away from the shore, people go, well, why would he speak from the boat? Why didn't he stay in the beach? Because the hills would form a perfect amphitheater. The water would deflect his voice. And Jesus would be able to speak without overexerting himself. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So they're there with rapt attention. Now he's in the boat and they're wondering, what's he going to say to us? And as Jesus is there, his eyes go up again onto those Galilean hillsides. And often his stories were formed from ordinary events in life. He would build them out of characters and sights that everybody were familiar with. And so Jesus, looking above the heads of the crowd, looks off onto the hillsides. Agricultural communities, planting of the farms up on the side, olive groves over to the other side. And he looks at the hillsides and his eyes back down on the crowds around him, the people. And he begins to share a story. Matthew chapter 13, and here's what Jesus said, a farmer A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell in the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, and still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop of 100 or 60 or even 30 times what was sown. And then he says, to those who have ears to hear... Let them hear. And you could almost see the expression in people's faces. What's that all about? That's not a story of the kingdom of God. See, we are living thousands of years ahead. We've had all kinds of interpreters and scholars and preachers and teachers who have explained the parable of the soil to us. So we're living with knowledge. If you're new to the faith, you'll quickly discover that many people have already understood a lot of the content of the parable. But for the people living then who had all gathered around that seashore, they were asking Jesus for something new. They were looking for the miraculous. They wanted another multiplication of the loaves and the fishes. Jesus, do something. And he goes, okay, I know what I'll tell you. There's a farmer. They go, that's just ordinary stuff. And even later, Jesus would have to explain it to his disciples. They go, what was that? We didn't get that. And Jesus goes, don't you understand? He goes, the parable is about the soil. The soil is the condition of the heart. Some have hardened hearts. The seed lands and boom, enemy takes it away. Some have hearts where the seed is planted, but it's shallow. There's no root and it's quickly lost. Others get choked out by worries and the deceitfulness of wealth, and it's lost. 
But some, their hearts are so receptive to the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of the kingdom, when the seed lands, it bears fruit. And they're like, oh, oh, okay, now we get it. He always had this way of bringing you into a story and then leave you wondering and contemplating. And it's a phenomenal story. It really is. Because it's not just about the farmer. It's a story all of us should contemplate today. What is the condition of the soil of my heart? Some of you, you've got good soil. You know your relationship with Christ. It's growing. It's bountiful. It's just full steam straight ahead. Others of us, we're a little distracted or maybe a little bit deceived or we're a little uh, concerned about all that we have in our life and we've lost the focus. And Jesus says, you know, contemplate the condition of your heart. Take care of your heart. But there's another facet I want to share with you today, particularly for those of us who are followers of Christ. Jesus could have, he could have told this story and simply looked at the crowd and said, there's a field, and in the field, when the crop was planted, there are four types of activity that are taking place. He could have done that. He didn't have to put the farmer in the story. You know that, right? It would have had the same impact. People would have listened, and they go, well, we get that, because here's what you need to understand about the, the agricultural setting there. If you were in northern Galilee, it's hard to sort of eke out a field in which to plant a crop. Rolling hills, limestone is just beneath the surface of very, very shallow soil in many places. You have to take the rocks out, get the old olive trees out of the place. And the farmers knew that you'd pick the most level part of the field, but any traveler coming down into the valley would take the path of least resistance. So often, the footpaths would go right through the middle of a farmer's field. That was common. So when Jesus talks about this pathway, it's not like they were skirting the field way around. They would go, no, 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 I'm walking right through the middle of the field. And the farmer planted barley here, and he planted barley here. And the date of the, or the time of the, the story is probably October, somewhere in October, right around the wheat barley season when they were planting again. And Jesus doesn't just talk about the soil. He says, there's a farmer. And they never understood that. And what Jesus is about to do is he goes, I want you to understand who God is. I want you to know the heart of the Father, that the Father is spreading the message of good news any way possible so that people can hear, regardless of the condition of their heart. In your notes, I want to share a couple of things with you that you're going to take away today. I want to focus on the farmer today for a few moments because I believe there are characteristics of the farmer that anyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ is going to want to emulate these characteristics So if you look at the farmer for a few moments, here's what I want you to consider. The farmer, when he planted his crops, when he sowed his seeds, he did so impartially. He did so impartially. He made, Jesus used language that was so comprehensible to his entire audience, and yet they could often miss the deeper intent. Look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 4. It says, the farmer was scattering his seed. And you go, okay, okay. So we're reading it in context but the farmer was living it in reality. He was scattering his seed, and some of the seed was falling on good soil. Some was falling on the path that people would walk through his field. Some fell where thorns were going to grow up. How many of you had to pull weeds this year already? You know what that's like. Yeah, okay. And he talked about that. And so he gives, and the rocky places, so he gives us this breadth of understanding. And so what do we perceive about this? It's a picture of a farmer who doesn't take his seed and go, I'm going to make sure it stays in 
the good soil, there's a rhythmic motion. To give you an image, the farmer would often have a, a bag that would be over his neck and his shoulder slung in front of him. He'd take his hand, and he would walk in a rhythm across the field, and he would be scattering his seed, dropping it for the most part in the soil that he had prepared to receive it, but knowing that he couldn't choose to be partial with the location of the seed, he spreads it, fully understanding that some of that seed is going to fall on a hard path, and the birds are going to take it away. Fully understanding that some is not going to endure the heat of the summer because of shallow soil. And also knowing that he couldn't even predict where the thorns are going to grow up. Weeds, ever see dandelions? They just come wherever they want to come. So he planted his seed impartially. There's a message in here that God loves the whole world. The whole world. And it's a picture of a farmer and it's a picture of the heart of the Father that compels us as followers of Christ that we have a message of good news to share with people, do we not? Two of us, I love that. We have a message of good news to share with the world. That's why we were in here worshiping today. That's why we had our, I hope it's why we had our hands raised. We have received good news and so we share good news. That's what we do. So the picture, Jesus said, there's a farmer, and he's, a, and he's scattering impartially. He's not trying to be predictive about where the seed is going to land. This is so, so important because God, all through his word, had been operating this way. Some people think that God was always partial towards one group of people. No, he raised up Israel for the purpose of being a light to the nations of the world. He said, I want you to radiate my truth and share my love with the nations of the world. God has always been impartial. Mankind has always been partial. We look at the color of skin. We listen to the accent. We look at the region of the world. We look at all these different things and begin to choose whether or not we want people to have good news. Do they deserve good news? We look at the headlines of the news, and we look at the terrorists and the jihadists, and we look at ISIS, and we go, I don't know that God could ever love them, yet the Bible tells me that God so loved the whole world. There's not a person that was created that was not loved by our Heavenly Father. So as followers of Jesus Christ, our call is to love the world the same way our Father loves this world, and that means that we, we plant, we sow impartially. We reach as many people as we can possibly reach for the sake of the kingdom. God, if you look at his word carefully and you weave your way through the scriptures, here's what you begin to discover. He sends Jonah up to Nineveh. Why did he do that? That was up in Assyria, because God loved the Ninevites. Jesus said, I need to go to Samaria. The Israelites are going, we don't go to Samaria. They're dogs, half-breeds. Jesus goes, no, I'm going to Samaria because I have a message of good news for these people to hear. The Holy Spirit would prompt Peter, Peter down by the beach. See, it's God. We have to go to the beach. He's down in Jaffa, resting up on the roof, relaxing a little bit, falls into a trance, waiting for supper to come. That's what happens if you don't feed us. You know, we just kind of like blaze out. And he's in a little bit of a trance, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just gets him, Peter, Peter, get up and eat. And Peter looks at the offering in the menu, and he goes, whoa, seafood, no, we don't do seafood. Oh, I can't do that. No, that's all unclean. And the Holy Spirit says, Peter, don't call anything unclean that I have called clean. Go to the Gentiles, Peter. Friends, do you hear the heart of the Father in the parable that Jesus shares here? He is so compelled to reach this world that he goes, I want you to be impartial like my Father is impartial. And anyone who's a true follower of Jesus Christ understands that we sow the seed impartially. That means we share it with everybody so that everyone has an opportunity to hear. Ecclesiastes, it says this, be sure to stay busy. Plant a variety of crops for you never know which ones will grow. Perhaps they will all grow.
hear me? This is Edwards! What do you want? This is Edwards. I know I ask you this like every week, but would you like to ride the church with me? Oh, come on, Mrs. Edwards, you'll like my church. We have some hot music. It may not be what you're bumping at all, but it's hot. We get down. What do you say, Mrs. Edwards? Oh, I suppose. I've heard it said that 80% of first-time church visitors come because someone personally invited them. All people need to feel loved and wanted, and for some people, it just takes having someone offer to give them a ride to church. All right, a moment of full disclosure here right now. How many of you thought the music was coming from the car? Come on. Yes, we did. I know that car. It lives in my neighborhood and in your neighborhood. And we all had thoughts as soon as we heard the music and we saw the car, and we were already imagining. Isn't it amazing how our stereotypes can actually move us away Now, candidly, I don't think I've ever met a knitting elderly woman listening to, you know, bop music, but regardless, it drives the point home. We need to move away from what we think are the stereotypes or what compels us and resists us from sharing the message of the king, and we need to be impartial in sowing the seed. I got a question for you. Can you be honest in church? Yes. Good. Here's what it is. How many of you just love getting up in the morning to go to work. Let me see your hands. Wow, all the senior citizens just raised their hands. That's amazing. We don't, we don't love, there were a few of you. No, I got to be honest, there were a couple of you in the room this morning. But the vast majority of us never raise our hands because, oh man, it's like Monday morning. I don't want to go to work. Like Good Friday, you know, having Canada Day. We're just wishing Monday was another vacation day for us, aren't we? And we will come up with all kinds of crazy excuses to not go to work. We'll wake up in the morning and we'll go, wow, I think I'm a little warm. Of course, we slept with three blankets to make sure that our body temperature was up. Or we'll call in and I I really feel I need a personal day. Is something going on? Not really. I just need a personal day. And some of you, you're still carrying a lottery ticket from like 10 years ago going, maybe today those numbers will match Maybe now I don't have to go to work. Why do I raise that with you? It's a second point to consider. Jesus talked about a farmer who would sow faithfully. He planted faithfully. And that spoke volumes to these people. Again, in in their context and their situation, they recognized when Jesus used the language here, in an agricultural community, The farmer was mandated that he needed to be out there. He had to be faithful at his work if he was going to see a harvest come. Matthew 13, verse 3, it says, A farmer went out to sow his seed. That means he had to go out knowing that the limestone conditions and the bedrock, he's going to put seed in the ground, and when the heat of the day would heat that soil up, it's going to kill the seed. And he could have easily said, I just want to go through this again. I'm tired of that. Or he's going to walk into a field and he's going to look at a field that he's going to have to pick stones and remove stones. Or he's going to have to cut down an old olive tree and he's going to have to rip out the branches and the roots. And it's just so much work. And you never know if you're even going to get a yield. But Jesus said there was a farmer, he went to his field. And he just began to scatter that seed. Scatter that seed. See, that image tells us that the field had been prepared. The ground had been cleared. The plow had been through the area. It was time. 
And whether it's wheat or barley, it really didn't matter. Everybody got the picture here. This was a faithful, industrious farmer. He was doing what he needed to do. And when you consider the challenges that this farmer is facing, that if it wasn't just the natural barriers, nature would throw in the thorns and the weeds, and then you've got the sun, everything seems to work against the farmer. And yet there's a moment in here that the farmer just goes, I I will be faithful to do what I'm called to do. I was at a leadership summit in 2012. If you haven't signed up, sign up. Great two days, August 11 and 12, right here at the church. Bill Heibel stood up, opening session, called the privilege of leadership. One of the the little moments in his presentation, he actually speaks to this parable. And he, he shared something I've never forgotten. He talked about the seed rejection ratio that you can tire of giving and faithfully sharing because of the seed rejection ratio. That you go, I've told so many people and nobody's ever responded. And Bill began to unpack that in a way that I'd never heard before. And I want you to see it. Watch the screens. Famous parable story that Jesus tells. He says, there's a guy. Here's where the fantastic artwork begins. There's a guy who has a bucket of seed. He's got another leg, too. He's got a bucket of seed, and he's sowing seed to plant a field. Some of the seed falls on hard-packed soil, and it can't germinate. The birds fly off of it. It's a bust. And then there's rocky soil, and some of the seed falls on that. When it falls, it doesn't have any source of water, so it dies. Then there's thorny soil, and the seed falls on that. It germinates, and yet... The seed gets choked out by all the thorns. And then Jesus says, but there's some good soil over here. There's some good soil, thankfully. And eventually a tree grows, and it's a beautiful tree. And birds of the air find nests in it, and uh, there's produce that grows from it. It's quite a tree. Now, the meaning of this uh, is quite profound. Uh, Jesus is saying, despite how bountifully the seed is sown, and the seed simply represents the message of the Christian faith, the good news that God loves people. He says, for all kinds of reasons, even though a lot of seed seed is being sown, he says, uh, people in some cases are closed off to it. They reject it. But Jesus says to his followers, don't get discouraged. The message is still true. Keep spreading it. Keep sowing seed. Some of it eventually is going to fall on good soil. That means someone who's receptive to it. And then their life is going to change. And it's going to be a beautiful thing. I've read this parable. I've taught on it many times. But recently, while I was reading my Bible and I came to this text, uh, the math of this parable caught my attention. Jesus made this story up. He could have told it any way he wanted to. But Jesus set up a seed rejection ratio, if you notice. Uh, He could have said the seed was rejected 25% of the time, 50% of the time, 60% of the time, but he chooses a 75% seed rejection ratio, which seems quite high to me. It's a powerful thought when you consider that Jesus is illustrating how this farmer goes out, and he just faithfully, consistently seeds and shares. In your notes, Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verse 4 says this, that farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. And if they watch every cloud, they'll never harvest. It's just another way of saying that if we wait for the perfect opportunity, 
We go, you know, I, I want to share the good news. I want to tell people about Jesus. I, I don't want to just simply come together with a group of people and sing a church, but I, I want people to know the hope that is within me. The Bible says that. Be prepared. Every opportunity, share the hope that is within us. I want to be able to do that, but I want to have the, the right conditions. Are you with me so far? You know, I, I got to make sure it's, they're in a good mood. Everything is working in their life that when I share Jesus, they're going to say, oh, I've been waiting to hear that. Thank you for sharing that with me. So we often are waiting for the perfect conditions. I would venture to say, all of you listening to me in this room right here and those online, when we heard the gospel, we didn't respond necessarily the very first time. That the conditions by which we were hearing the good news, the seed was being planted, but we weren't necessarily overly receptive or we were distracted or we were just consumed in our own world, sort of self-consumed. And it took a little bit of faithfulness on the part of the person to continue to share the story before we responded to it. I take my car to a local mechanic who does uh, work for me on it, and I've struck up a really good relationship. Been going there ever since I moved to the community. So I've been here 15 years, and we'll drive in and drop our car off. We have first-name basis. I can call him up, and he knows exactly who I am. I love that. I love that kind of relationship. A couple of years ago, we dropped our car off to get it serviced, and normally we have a nice little banter. It's a very relaxed, and I enjoy just standing, talking, find out how his shop is, and uh, we'll have that little bit of an exchange, but I, I just, I picked up that something was a little bit different. He was a little more sober. And so we didn't have quite the same banter, and I was going to pay my bill and just sort of leave it at that and, and go on. And, but in that moment, I just felt like this little nudge of the Spirit that goes, Doug, ask a different question. Ask a different question. And I thought, all right. And I looked at him, and I just said, you know, I used his name, and I just said, how you doing? And he goes, not good. I said, why? He said, my wife just died. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh. And I just expressed my deepest sympathy. And I said, I had no idea. I didn't need to ask that question. We could have done business and just carried on. I had no idea. But it opened up an opportunity for me. And I just said, can I tell you? We're going to be praying for you. I know how difficult this moment is right here, and we're going to walk with you, and I'm from the church. He knew where I was at. I have a lot of our staff. I tell people, anybody asks me, I tell them, take your car down there. He's honest. He's great. And so we have this conversation, which opens up a deeper conversation for us, and then Laura and I, we got involved and had a chance just to reach out and really minister to him. So I don't know what happened, so I just plant some seed. I'm going to be faithful in the moment to plant a little bit of seed. Well, fast forward. Just recently, we had to take our car in, and we've been going over the last little while, but I had to take another car in and had to get some service done on it. Some of the, the regular maintenance had to be done. And we got there, and I got to the end of the day, and I went down, and like before, you know, we do our little bit of banter, and then he hands me the bill, and, you know, he apologizes for the bill, and I, I still had to pay. I don't know why he apologized for it. He apologized for the bill. So I, I paid him for the work that was done, and he lingered. And I thought, well, that's unusual. You know, we've, we've had our chat. I'm about to go my way here. And he just said, Doug, can I just say thank you? And I'm, you know, me. Well, no problem. I, you did the work. I paid you. Like, you're welcome. I think I paid you. And I took my card back, and he looked at me again, and he just, our eyes connected. He goes, no, thank you. You'll never know how much it's meant to me for what you've done and for being there, for the prayers. 
And God just gave us another opportunity to have a conversation. Friends, I'm believing one day that I'll be able to just introduce you to my friend. And he will have opened his heart up to the fullness of the gospel and understand who Jesus Christ is. That's what farmers do. They just faithfully plant. They don't wait for pristine conditions. They take advantage of the opportunity to share good news. I love what it says, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. God says, I'm going to bless you for being faithful and telling people about my kingdom news. In your notes, number three, here's the last thing I want to share with you before we wrap it up. The farmer sowed expectantly. He fully anticipated there would be a harvest. He wasn't out in that field going, you know, I hope this is going to work. And he's throwing seed randomly across the soil. No, this was a man who understood the law of nature. He goes, if I plant, I will harvest. And Jesus was explaining a much deeper principle that if we are faithful and we are impartial and we will tell people about the good news, the hope that we have within us, he goes, if you do that... I'll do my part, and I will bring a harvest. Friends, we're not responsible for producing the harvest. You know this, right? We're not responsible for producing. See, that's what really holds some of us back. I I don't know if I can get them across the yard line. I don't know if I can convince them that they... You don't have to. You don't have to. The Holy Spirit has already drawn them. All we have to do is tell them what it is that's going on inside of Hey, did you know that eternity is planted deep inside of your heart, that God loves you that much? Did you know that when you put your head on your pillow at night and you have all those thoughts and you wonder about the future and your life and death and all the mysteries, did you know that God already cares about all that? And that's all we have to do when we plant a seed and that seed stays there and the Holy Spirit goes, you know who they're talking about? Well, let me just build that out a little bit more and then he brings somebody else and somebody will plant a seed and somebody else will water it a little bit and that seed will start to take root and others will teach and nurture it and it'll start to grow and then God goes, hey, there's a harvest coming and that life is going to be transformed. That's what God does. I love the scripture. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 8, it says, other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. What is that telling us? That when one life gets transformed, it's never just one life you realize that when you said yes to Jesus, it wasn't just your life that changed. You go, how does that work? When you said yes to Jesus, your story and your life now ripples into your family and into your extended family and into your work family and into our social circles and into our community that our testimonies transform our spheres of influence and it produces a crop that is unbelievable. And this, it doesn't matter if you're an introvert. And it doesn't matter if you're an extrovert. God uses all of us. All he wants is will you be impartial? Will you be faithful? And then will you expect, fully expect, that there's going to be a fantastic harvest? Proverbs 20, verse 4, those who are too lazy to plow in the right season will have no food at the harvest. We are compelled to be in the harvest. First Corinthians 3, 7 and 8, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but here it is, only God who makes things grow. When we live with this element of perpetual expectation, when I share and I'm faithful to share the good news, God is faithful and he will bring a harvest. So, first Yusuf was from the first people I was introduced to here 
in Canada. Uh, he was the first one to talk to me about Jesus. He was the first one to actually welcome me as a friend. I've never felt welcomed as I did until he invited me to church on Fridays and introduced me to, to his friends here. Everyone, I felt love from everyone. I felt welcomed. Uh, I didn't even feel that I was a stranger. Um, it was a journey. It was a journey. It was a good journey. I honestly loved him from the moment I met him and saw him and uh, we used to just hang out and uh, we were friends before anything, before even talking about God and before sharing, sharing anything about Christ and who he is and how he uh, loves him. After we were very close at first, we would just we would just hang out. We would just be friends. We'd be buddies. We'd be kicking the soccer ball or playing Xbox and doing whatever. And in the midst of all that, we'd just start talking about God. Uh, he would tell me about how he was frustrated with, with God and frustrated with um, his mother being sick and how God's not in the picture or his dad left his mom. And um, there was just a lot of anger and a lot of frustration and all of that. And to just walk alongside of him and, and, and listen to him. So, uh... After after I was baptized, I felt that everything everything was left in the water, like all of my sins, all of my past life, everything was was there. I felt clean. I felt that I was reborn, like reborn, yeah, reborn again. It's been absolutely incredible to be able to see where he was and where he is now, uh, just so full of faith, so full of life, and so full of joy. Yeah, thinking back to when we would first start having conversations. I had no idea whether he'd receive it or not. I had no idea whether he'd accept Christ in the end. But I quickly realized it wasn't my job. My job was to just tell him about who Christ is and tell him about the love that he can find in Christ. And in the end, he was here. Fine, yeah, go ahead. Many of you were here for that water baptism, and that's the story behind that water baptism. And that moment where he said, when I was baptized, I just felt like everything was left in the water, all my sin, all my past, everything. That's harvest. That's the harvest time. That's what it looks like. And all because one young man, he's on the drums today, Yusuf, what a great guy, because he took the opportunity to share, just to be faithful to share. Jesus said this, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. In Mark chapter 16, he said it this way, all I want you to do, I just want you to go share the good news. That's it. And friends, that's what we have today. When we come together, I just want to remind us, the reason we love the tales of the kingdom, it's because they're embedded with so much truth. And Jesus in this particular this parable, this story that he shared, yeah, he was asking us about the condition of our heart, but even more than that, for those that are followers of Jesus, going, look at the Father. Look at the father. He's the farmer in the field, and he's working because there's a harvest coming. Jesus said to his disciples, now is the time of the harvest. Open up your eyes. You can see it's all around you. Pray for workers to go to the harvest field. So I pray today that every one of us that's a follower of Jesus, here's what I would ask, that we would understand we have good news. Amen? Okay, we're going to try that again. We have really good news. Yeah, all right. We have the good news. All we have to do is share it everywhere, share it faithfully, and watch what God will do. Father, that's what we pray today, that we would never lose sight of the fact that this is the greatest calling we could ever have. 
that, Lord, we don't have to be the professional. We don't have to be trained in seminaries. We don't have to stand on stages. We can reach across a fence. We can speak at a cubicle. We can go for lunch together. We can transform people's lives simply because we spoke and the Holy Spirit germinated that seed and it began to grow. So I pray that we would all have the privilege today of truly knowing what it is to partner in the harvest with you. May this tale of the kingdom not be a story. May it be our life story. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.